Bobcat fans. Support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. If this song doesn't make you happy, I don't really know what to do for you. No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the uh, ESPN MT app. Little Steve Winwood for you. Do you remember Once Upon a Time? When Steve Winwood was in the same band as Eric Clapton and Ginger Baker, basically Steve Winwood joined Cream minus Jack Bruce. Blind Faith is what the band is called. I don't know if you knew that. Well, Spontan, it's so funny the way music influences your life. Once, uh, when I was a, a kid, I remember my uncle gifted my family, but like basically me and my mother, a like eight CD box of. It was called the Clapton Chronicles, and it was all of Eric Clapton's work, all of it, from uh, the very, very early, even pre-Cream. I mean, Clapton was in the Yardbirds, and then he was in John Mile and the Blues Breakers, and then Cream, and they had Blind Faith with uh, Ginger Baker, who had been the drummer in Cream, uh, with Steve Winwood. Then he was in a band called Delaney, Bonnie, and Friends. Then Derek and the Dominoes. And then he goes solo and keeps on writing songs. And, I mean, just one of the most unbelievable uh, music careers ever. I mean, he's not even close. He's unreal how prolific he has been. I mean, Clapton, 18 Grammy Awards. That sounds pretty good. I mean, he's been writing records since for about 50-plus years, so... Um, one of the all-time greats for sure. And, and those sort of things, though, they influence you so much when you get to hear and consume greatness. I remember consuming that whole uh, eight-disc deal, and uh, super cool, super fun. How about Major League Baseball playoffs? The World Series is upon us. I'm stoked for it. I've just I finally accepted what baseball is now. You know, the Teams hitting 300, it ain't happening anymore. Teams are going to hit 240. They're going to hit a bunch of home runs, and it's just all about waiting to charge up for the long ball. And the Astros, who have been absolutely the best home run hitting team in this playoffs, uh, they roll through the American League undefeated to get to this World Series, and now they take uh, an upstart Philadelphia team who didn't really get it figured out until down the stretch, and then they got it figured out. And now they got two of the most veteran-proven uh, dare I say, Hall of Fame, maybe, caliber players. I mean, Bryce Harper's a Hall of Famer, I think. And Kyle Schwarber, given his his postseason body of work, he's, he's, he might be in the conversation when it's all said and done. Regardless, they've both been here before. They've won at the highest level, and they are leading the, the pace for the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, so it should be a, a fun World Series. What a moment for Bryce Harper, who it's funny because he's been a superstar since he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 years old. And yet, he's 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 a liked guy. He's certainly a very 
famous baseball player. I think in certain circles he's very popular. But ever since he got to Philadelphia, it's been sort of a, a disconnect between him as a Philly, except for Philly fans. I mean, I'm sure Philly fans fully embrace him, fully love him, but it's just hard. You don't like connect him with a franchise as much as you do other stalwart type superstars. But for his, uh, for that moment, for him to have that moment with a relatively new franchise in Philadelphia to hit the opposite field home run that was a walk off to send the Phillies to the World Series. Crazy. Just unbelievable. Uh, we'll, we'll bring in Jeff Safford here because we sort of proclamated this by saying, you know, in the, in the NL, it was a couple upstart teams after the, the powerhouses like the defending world champion Braves and the Dodgers uh, of, you know, whatever, 110-plus wins were knocked out. So there's going to be certainly a winner out of the National League that was going to be, you know, one of the quote-unquote hottest teams in baseball, teams that figured it out late. And then it was going to be against two of the juggernauts of the season, the Yankees uh, and the Astros. But now we have the matchup, and it starts on Friday night. So uh, what do you think of how we got here, and what do you think of this World Series matchup between Philadelphia and Houston? Well, looking at the National League, it was two teams that you were surprised to see there, as you kind of alluded to, with both the Padres and the Phillies upset, upsetting the teams that they played in the divisional round to get to that point. And then it became, well, who's going to be the hottest in the championship series to keep it rolling to the World Series? And Philadelphia, behind their power bats, they were able to do it. And they were also able to get some good work from their starting rotation. Touched on me following Zach Wheeler's whole career since he was in the Giants system, getting traded, kind of bounced around from the Mets to the Phillies. And he's really been able to come on strong for Philadelphia. Two fabulous starts in that championship series. Um, he'll be definitely a big part of the World Series as well. Looks like he'll be slated for Game 1 against Verlander and then Nola for Game 2 for Philly. And really, it was just awesome to me to see that environment in Philadelphia, especially Saturday and Sunday's games. He had some big swings, four home runs from Philadelphia in game four, and then a home run in the eighth inning you referred to with Harper. I mean, that place was just electric, electric on Sunday. Man. I mean, I I can't think of many more electric scenes in baseball in the last five years. I mean, I, all the camera angles and oh, from man. all the different angles of Harper's home run and just seeing the place just erupt. It's just, it's postseason baseball at its best. And it makes you excited for when Houston goes to Philadelphia. That place is going to be a nut bin. And if Philadelphia can find a way to get a win on the road oh, man. and bring it into Philly for three, and we know Philadelphia fans, they can be a little boisterous, <laughs> and we yeah. know that po folks aren't exactly happy with the Astros, thanks to the scandal from 2017. So, oh, baby. That fan base is going to be ready to f rip no matter what. So that'll make it fun. And the other side, Houston. I know Yankee fans like to say, who's your daddy? Looking at them making fun of the Guardians with yeah. the whole Nestor thing. And, yeah. of course, Pedro Martinez from back in the day. Some folks remember the, the who's your daddy chants from the 2000s. Well, I think Oh, Yankees fans, I think Houston kind of has your number there. So you got to maybe look at oh, yourself buddy. in the mirror yes, a little bit. But 
I mean, how how many times that they beat him in the championship series now four, five times since 2017? They just cannot find a way to beat the Astros. And they just completely overwhelmed the Yankees. I mean, their offense was non-existent in that series. Their pitching staff, Houston's, just completely shut things down, which was very impressive. Yankees have a lot of questions to answer going into the offseason, uh, but it should be a fun World Series. We're going to talk more about uh, this upcoming World Series. Um, as it progresses, it'll start on Friday night. It's a little bit of uh, some time off here uh, for these guys. And, uh, oh, no, is that right? Yeah, looks like, yep, Friday night. Just making sure. Um, it's going to be crazy to see, you're right, uh, the reaction in Philadelphia. I think that Philly's pretty juiced right now. Riding high on the Eagles, riding high on the Phillies. The Sixers are off to a terrible start, but it's only a couple games in. Uh, but Philadelphia, definitely one of the great sports towns uh, in the United States. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Well, we started doing our segment before we even started recording our segment. So I said, hey, stop. Hold that thought. Let's just start recording. We're down here at Studio 49, back at the Gallagher Business Building uh, at the UM Business School. Business professor Justin Angle joins us here on A Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. And we were talking because Justin has a young family. His kids are getting a little older now. They are uh, running around all over the place crazy. Youth sports is, is at a maximum. And I can't help but think as somebody who's 35 years old, doesn't have kids, but hopes to have a family someday, um, and also somebody that played every sport. My parents were so great at providing opportunities for me. I mean, I was playing everything. Yep. Baseball, golf, football, basketball, all the time. Skiing, all the time. But I just can't help but think, it seems as I observe my friends like you running around all crazy, that it's way more busy. So then we started talking about the structure of youth sports. And it, you have actually made this comment on the show multiple times. And it's basically that the thesis, the premise here is that if you make the funnel smaller, that is not beneficial to the world at large. But anyways, I mean, it's just it's crazy how much uh, logistical effort it takes to just get the kids from here to there. And your kids are not even really that old. What is your daughter, like 11 or 12? Yeah, we have kind of like becoming 13 yeah, and becoming right. 11. Right. One is super into sports and the other super into dance, both of which have all kinds of logistical commitments. And that's fine. That's part of the deal. Sure. Um, but I think like at a conceptual level, we have to ask ourselves first, like, what are the goals of youth sports programs or youth activities, right? They're, they're to learn, they're to promote a healthy lifestyle, they are to promote leadership, team building, um, goal orientation, uh, the ability to compete, take feedback. Yep. Um, and another goal of these programs, presumably, is to create better young people better sure. and you can measure that in a variety of dimensions but one way to measure it is better athletes who can perform at a higher level in their sport yep right and so as we have invested more and more dollars and time and energy and stress into you know this youth sports industrial complex has that led to better outcomes on any of those dimensions um if we look at soccer, for example, sure. I mean, my kids don't play soccer, so I observe it. But I did play soccer growing up, and I, you know, we had a good soccer team, and it was sort of run at the community level, is through right. parks and rec. Right. All, you know, kids on the high school varsity team were our coaches, and the team you were on was determined by if your your t shirt from the previous year still fit. Like I was on the green team and I was on the green team the next year because my shirt still sure. fit, but one year it didn't fit, so I changed teams. <laughs> sure. 
Um, seems pretty great. Seems like a pretty simple solution. Yeah, pretty easy. It's yeah. not like that makes you select or premiere or some right, other right, adjective right. that's exclusionary. Anyway, we're de- creating all these mechanisms to exclude kids right at the start. Like if you don't have the time or the money or the resources to do all the stuff, buy all the things, you're you're not even considered at the very beginning. The funnel is narrowed at yeah. the very top. And so a lot of our kids are getting left behind. And you know, I don't think that serves anyone really i mean it serves the the folks that can't afford it and can make that a priority and can can do all the things but those kids um one of the drawbacks of that is they might succeed in that system but they're doing it at uh, they're doing it against i mean because it is a meritocracy they're doing it against a much smaller pool of competition now, that's not preparing them well for life i have a long-term project to write a book all about the influence of rural america but mostly rural montana on the way that young men can develop because 55 percent of guys that have made it to the nfl over the last 25 years are from towns of 40,000 people or less yes and in montana if you take the 25 or so guys from montana that have made it there's only one from Missoula. There's none from Billings. There's, you know, one from Bozeman. They're all from Dillon and Glendive and Baker and, you sure. know, all these small and places. And that's unique to football, right? Like uh, yeah, that totally, effect does totally, not persist in totally. sports. But one of my main thesis in this book, if I ever get around to actually putting pen to paper beyond the outline, is that the lack of this crazy uh, industrial complex of youth sports is a huge influence on the benefits of these guys. Hmm. Because if you grow up in a tiny town... You play all the sports. Yeah. And it's not yeah. this crazy specialization. One of my coworkers at Missoula Broadcasting Company, she has a boy in seventh grade who's a great soccer player, and he decided he didn't want to do it this year and had no other reason besides. He's like, Mom, I want to ski, and I want to get better at the instrument I play in the band, and I want to do all these things. That should be totally encouraged. And you just wonder how much it's not a business angle here on uh, Nuanas now. The, the other part I think that happens here is when you continue to scale up and, and this goes back to uh, the argument, like, how would Bill Russell do in the NBA these days? He's sure. a bad example because he's such a genetic uh, marvel. I mean, yeah. he, he's he's big enough to play at any era of basketball. But, mm-hmm. like, how would some of the old school guys do now? When you look at has this whole industrial complex made sports better, I think from a fundamental and development standpoint, the answer is definitively yes. I think that yeah. I think that baseball players, for example, can throw way harder and throw way more crazy pitches at a way younger age. Is that good for your body long term, though? The other part of the argument, though, is the ability to handle adversity or lack thereof. If the funnel that was created is because of what you can afford and not what you can earn, that's bad. If you also have an, a back end, your parents or your family or whomever that's completely invested in you financially to succeed, you're always going to have a complete bubble of enablement. And then you're going to lack self-awareness. And so when I, you ask me, what's, I always think that the guys from the past could step in and compete right now because of their mind. Mm-hmm. Like, is Jerry West the type of athlete that all these guys playing in the NBA are right now? No. But he grew up a coal miner's kid in West Virginia. You know. Sure. And you take a kid like that, a, a young Jerry West, and you, uh, you give that sort of person access to the training and sure. the nutrition and the advances in physiotherapy and all of those um, developments that have improved outcomes, you know, maybe that person could compete at the same level that they were at relative to the competition in those days. I, I don't know. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's fascinating and frustrating to analyze because I do think that what 
all of sports across all levels has evolved into, and I think this is actually a microcosmic example of a, an issue in society. Because we can build our own echo chambers, you can always build a little community that will only feed you yes-men answers, that will only enable your way of thinking. It's like many Division I basketball coaches always joke, the number one thing you got to worry about when you're recruiting a kid is what's his mom like? Yeah. Does his mom think that he's going to the NBA? <laughs> right. Like, Does his mom think that he's a top sure. 10 pick when this kid is a very good basketball player, good enough to play in the big sky, which is, makes you better than 99.5% of the people on the earth? But still, you know, and, and that's where I think that sports across the board we see such high levels of athleticism and then there's so much and that's why I have a job because there's so much drama to talk about because the mental part of it is just so uh it's so fragile yeah and I, and I go back to you know the, the the sort of conceit of this segment is the business of sports that's right and you know that the, there there's business interests at all levels of this mm-hmm. funnel to the extent the funnel exists. And, and it's not, I, I don't think we should conceive the same value proposition and business model for youth sports that we conceive for professional sports mm-hmm. um, for a wide variety of reasons. One, it's just a fundamentally different business, but it serves different objectives. Yeah, You know, the, the vast, vast majority of kids that participate in youth sports will not be professional athletes. Right. And so the explicit outcomes of that should not be necessarily solely performance-oriented. It should be around those other attributes that youth sports serve. Character building, the ability to work toward a goal, the ability to work with a team, take feedback. I mean, I know that from my my experience in the classroom. Like, athletes are great students because they can take feedback and adapt and learn. So all those other benefits that create better humans in a lot of ways. I, I think we need to think about the business model around that. Um, and maybe that's why community sports work better. I'm just sort of speculating here. But but yeah, the, the performance, uh, the performance, the, the, the importance of performance in the value function changes over, mm-hmm. the, over depending on what stage of the mm-hmm. funnel you're existing in. It, it's so true. And Winning and glory and success and opportunity are all, to me, secondary parts of why sports are important. I think learning how to do incredibly hard things when you're young is very important. And I think the single most important thing, I would tell you the single most important thing I learned from playing sports had everything to do with losing and nothing to do with winning. Oh, yeah. You have to learn that... in, in America, now I'm on my philosophical soapbox, but in America, we were all told a lie that you can try as hard as you possibly can, and if you do, you will achieve your dreams. That's untrue. You can try as hard as you possibly can and fail to achieve your dreams, but that's the point. The only thing that matters is, did you try as hard as you can? Yeah. <laughs> There's so much in that, Coulter. I mean, I, I could sort of dismiss that by saying, like, I've tried as hard as I can to dunk from the free throw yeah, right, line right. my entire life and it's never going to happen. Right. Um, but that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Because the only thing, that, the, the win is that you tried and you realized it and now you're more self-aware to know your strengths and weaknesses, which will then inherently make you better at the things that you are good at, the gifts you do have. Absolutely. I agree with that completely. Like each person has to develop some sphere of what's 
what they're capable of that's and right. what, what is not possible, but also what's important to them that's and, right. and what is not. And some, some I would assume, in, in a healthy-ish person, not that I'm healthy, uh, those, di- you know, those Venn circles would overlap mm-hmm. to some degree. Uh, but there is in that the try as hard as you can mm-hmm. um, notion is a little murky because mm-hmm. what that means to every individual is different. And cultivating a capacity to to know that whatever your ability level, whatever your station is, that you can probably try a little harder than you've tried. Right. I think that's an important lesson, too. Yes. The limits that we set for ourselves, the signals that our bodies and minds send us um, that we should stop are not always signals that we have to listen to. And that's dangerous ground, right? Because if you push too hard, there can be injury, there can be burnout, there can be negative outcomes, all sorts of things. But that ability to push yourself and adapt to that stimulus of stressing your system is an important capacity to, to develop. Business Angle here on Nuana's Now. Justin Angle joining us like he does a couple times a month, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, last thing on this point. To go back to the beginning of this, I just find it frustrating how incremental the pricing of all of it is because that's what then, you know, your kid is getting better and you want them to continue to accelerate no matter what sport it is. And there's just so many more, like you were saying, you had to grow out of your shirt before you got to the new shirt. Now, you know, you got a dance recital. Now, okay, you got a new, you're on a new level. Now you need a new dress. You need a new teacher. You need a new this. Um, My father taught Taekwondo all across the Western United States forever. And when it became commercialized and you have to do a different test once a month, and there's 97 different belts you can get with four different... Not, no. In Taekwondo, there's five belts. White belt, blue belt, brown belt, or green belt, brown belt, black belt. That's it. And then you can have, you know, different uh, degrees of your black belt. Sure. But it's not this crazy commercialized thing. It's supposed to take you years and years and years, and you don't move up until you're ready. And the benefit is the end, go- is the end game. It's not the actual... Moving up the the the, uh, the docket, and I think that's what just frustrates me is that it, it is instinct. It's inherently monetized now. Uh, to be frank, for the the exploitation of the com- the customer, it is a business, right? right. Youth, totally, we call it the youth sports industrial complex. I mean, it employs people, and there are clubs that that have a business model, and that relies on you know more customers and more dedicated people and more people paying their dues and all those things. And those aren't necessarily bad things. They open up opportunity in a lot of ways, but there are some flaws in that system. And that's not to sort of dismiss all privatized youth sports. I mean, there's some that have scholarships and, sure, yeah. and all kinds of different models, but. Um, but yeah, I think we need to, 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 to rethink it on two levels. Is it achieving the outcomes we want? And is it creating this sort of peer pressure effect where we, you know, as parents, we're kind of doing all these things because other people are nice, doing right. them and we sort of feel like we'll get left behind totally if we don't. And I think specialization follows a path like that because it's easy to fall into this trap of if I don't do this other thing, if I don't make the sacrifice, if I don't focus more on my activity, I'll get left behind. Whereas a lot of the research shows that, you know, multi-sport athletes and the lack of specialization can lead to better outcomes, not only at the competitive level, but also um, at the long-term health level. (laughs) And then you start thinking about, you know, if your dream is for your kid to go to the NFL, I can tell you, I hate to tell you, but there's a 99.99% chance that 
what they're born with is going to determine that, and that's about it. Like, I was watching The Shop, LeBron James's talk show the other night, and Chase Young's on there, and they're like, when did you really know that you were destined for the NFL? It's like, dude's been 6'5", 280 pounds <laughs> since he was 16 years old. Like, he, Chase Young had a better chance to be in the NFL than me before we ever even knew what football was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, sometimes it's just cut and dry. We're going to actually get to some business and sports, not just business of sports, but business overlay with sports on a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Justin Angle for giving us so much time today. More of this conversation next. Keep it right here. CSPN Radio. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. If you can tell me out there, right there, that was a, a Van Morrison song, Wild Night, little Van Morrison, but a John Mellencamp rendition. If you can tell me who the female, though, was singing on that song from uh, Mellencamp's early 90s album, Dance Naked, she is a award-winning, Grammy award-winning bass player and also did that duet with John Mellencamp. If you can tell me, text me, 406-888-1029. That's 406-888-1029. Text me. Who played bass on John Mellencamp's Van Morrison cover of Wild Night from the, uh, I think, 94 album, Dance Naked? If you get it right, we'll find a prize. I'll, I'll come up with a prize for you. we got all sorts of prizes around here. I'll find one for you if anybody can get that deep cut. Nuwana is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app, the second part of a business angle with Justin Engel, the overlay between business and sports. Nuwana is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Coming to you from Studio 49 down here at the Gallagher Business Building. Justin Engel joining us. Uh, this has sort of been the thing I've been stuck on thinking about. This, the, the, I've been reading too many books. That's my, my main problem. Uh, I, I, that's not a problem, man. That's good. Good work. Do more read, of it. I read a book called Sapiens. Uh, have you yeah, heard of this great book? book. One of my favorites. One of my favorite books as well. I knew if you had read it, you would love it. It's just about the evolution of what caused humans, homo sapiens, to become the masters of this earth that we uh, roam upon. Well, then the basically the sequel to this book is called 21 Problems for the 21st Century. Have you read this? Um, well, I've read Homo Deus. Oh, so I, I guess I, Homo Deus is the next. Yeah. And then 21, 21 Problems for the 21st Century is the n- newest mm-hmm. one. This is all basically the main thesis here is that uh, man, for as brilliant and problem-solving intuitive as we possibly could ever be, will never stop until we find our own demise because that's the only thing that can ever stop us, right? Is mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what we ever solve, what tool we get, what whatever. We're going to max it out. And I'm sitting here watching guys that have coached in the NFL for 25 or 30 years going for two in crazy situations, punting or not punting in just the most haphazard ways, 
no feel for the game whatsoever, going completely against their standards and their morals. Then you're watching like the baseball playoffs. You're watching all these different things that are just so unbelievably influenced by computers. And I can't help but think there's like this microcosm here. Like we are going to continue to evolve as mankind and build all this technology until, for better or worse, our lives are completely automated. You won't be able to get a sandwich somewhere from a human in 20 years, I don't think. Someone's going to just, a robot's just going to make it for you. Because why wouldn't you? That's what the production line requires. But I just can't help but wonder what's the end game here. We're seeing it in a completely negative impact, in my opinion, in sports with analytics. Why are we letting the machines rule the world? I guess that's the question. Okay, so we're going to break that one down. Um, I do sort of agree with the basic premise that, you know, there are all kinds of problems with human decision making mm-hmm. and some of those are pretty well understood at this point some of those we might not even understand yet totally I mean, we're 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 too focused on the short term at the expense of the long term and a lot of these things um and, and there's all kinds of others if you're interested in reading on that just Coulter's probably read the book because you read so many books now <laughs> um but you know i th- i think when it comes to the analytics piece th- you know, kind of the money ball effect is this this sort yeah. of the core, yeah. not really the genesis of the story, but it's the example we all go back to, right? Like you have this world of scouts that are working on the level of intuition and then mm-hmm. somebody figures out that, oh yeah, there's all kinds of problems with human intuition and For we sure. can introduce these analytics to, you know, change decision making. So in the case of a coach on the field making the wrong call, you know, not based on instinct. Yeah, maybe you have to build systems where you know that's you introduce the the, the you reintroduce the data. I'm thinking of the movie Crimson Tide. Oh yeah, where, like Gene Hackman is this yes. old grizzled uh, sub Clancy commander. Book, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, God, that was back when movies were great, man. When it was just a movie, right? <laughs> this is just right, a straightforward right. movie. There's no, like, whatever deeper meaning. It's just an awesome movie. I Two love Two guys, that movie. submarine, Cold War. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, he's, like, he's this old grizzled vet, and he's, you know, kind of by the book. And, you know, Denzel Washington comes in and says, no, we're not going to make this decision. We're not going to launch our missiles because of some other series of... What I'm getting to is, like, that is consequential decision-making that has built-in systems, right? If the captain orders the strike, the XO has yep. to confirm it. And, and there's there's redundancy in that system. Sure. So can you build systems in the NFL where you have a split-second call like that, where you've got like, I don't know, the assistant coach, the, the offensive coordinator, who knows who, but like in the moment can check the coach and say, sure. hey, you're going against the data here. Right. And I don't know how those conversations are made or done, but there has to be like, you're, you're, you're mentioning baseball there like they've built a system around those decisions and those decisions are able to be made at a slower pace and implemented at a slower pace in the NFL it's it's really hard to kind of operate at that pace at that scale I just find when it comes to baseball I find the exhaustive analytics and all the math that's involved I feel like it removes one of the competitive elements of the game. Like baseball used to be, I'm going to bring my best, you bring your best. Yeah. Let's go. You know, I'm going to throw it as hard as I can right down the middle. Let's see if you can hit it. Now it's like, oh, I know Justin can't hit the low and outside curveball. So I just hammer it right here. You know, I just throw seven pitches in a row, low and outside where he can't hit it. We got to shift on. And the statistics say that Justin can't hit it down the right field line. So we're just going to keep on pounding it. That stuff drives me crazy. But more than anything, though, when it comes to football, I think it's that 
the analytics and the computer decision making, it removes the accountability. You go for it for two, and then you lose the game. And the press conference, you can just say, well, the card said so. Yeah, exactly. That's what drives me nuts. Yeah. You know, I think there's a couple sides to that. There is the, you know, what is this business? This business is entertainment at its core, right? And so as these athletes and coaches and decision makers become more robotic, more, you know, grounded in, in data analysis... Yeah, it might lead to more optimized decision-making for wins and losses. It might lead to overall higher levels of performance, but it might not lead to better entertainment. Right. And at the at the end of the day, we're like we're all these coaches and players are trying to eliminate as much uncertainty from outcomes as possible. That's their core job. They're training sure. their entire lives to eliminating the uncertainty. Whereas as consumers of the product, all we want is uncertainty. That's right. And we want our team to win, but at the end of the day, like we want it to be an entertaining game where we don't quite know. Like Even watching your own team win in a blowout is kind of boring. 100%. I mean, the football game I watched in Bozeman on Saturday was bad football. It was rainy, wet, crazy cold. Yeah, multiple special teams errors, multiple special teams touchdowns. But more than anything... The poor long snapper for Weber State snapped the ball out of the back of the end zone four times yeah. to the count of four safeties. And if you were to objectively analyze that game based on execution, discipline, all those things, Fs. Yeah. Full Fs. Every single person walked out of the stadium saying that was the craziest game I've ever been to. What a fun, entertaining day it was. Absolutely. And probably <laughs> for those athletes, like they will remember that as oh, they'll remember you know, they it dealt forever. with adversity. It was just kind of one final thought on this. Like, yes. Our ability to harness, collect data, analyze those data, build machines that can learn. I mean, you could sort of spin a dystopian future around that, and we've done that in this segment. (laughs) I'm Um, sorry. (laughs) Yet at the same time, like, to the extent it's contributing to a product that's less entertaining, the information model is not working in other domains. Sure. So take climate change, for example. Mm -hmm. Like. People don't believe in climate change in spite of like overwhelming scientific evidence. And the scientific body as a whole is pretty poor at communicating that. Even the best of them are trying to sort of say like, I just give you more stats, more information to demonstrate that this is true. Yes. It does, it's not changing minds. It's not changing behavior. And so there's an analytics driven model that is kind of failing at the human level we need other tools. Like we need For the sure. tools of the humanities, like better storytelling, better poetry around the climate and other social issues. Because right now, the information model isn't working in that domain. And that's just one of perhaps others that I can think of. But we sort of have to think about it in sports. Like, what are we trying to do? We can't tell coaches and players not to try as hard as they can to win and use every piece of data they can. But if it's leading up into you know, an inferior product, then... We probably have to think about that. I just find it fascinating that we have multiple veteran coaches in the NFL that have gone against their institutional knowledge crafted over four decades yeah. to let a card make decisions for them. It's nuts. New is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. It's a business angle. Justin Angle joining us here uh, on your Tuesday. Okay, last thing for you. Speaking of entertainment value, I find the um, slobber knocker, knockdown, drag out defensive battles that we've seen on pretty much every single NFL primetime game to be fascinating and entertaining and refreshing because of the the trends that have uh, been in football across all levels for the last 10 or so years. 
That said, I think there's a definitive problem in the NFL right now, and it's why many people who aren't as big of a football junkie as me are sitting here and screaming, why do I want to watch 16 to 10 on Sunday Night Football? Sure. It's because there's a, a whole bunch of people that have the NFL's been built upon for 20 to 25 years that are now just older, and in some cases just flat old. And I think that the institution as a whole is having a hard time moving beyond these guys, and it's also in, that inherently hurting the product. I mean, Tom Brady looked for the first time, I could say, with confidence, in 22 years, he looked awful yeah. on Sunday. He looked terrible. Aaron Rodgers with the long hair. and you know, I mean, the guy, he said so much crazy stuff. He's done so much wacky stuff. He threw for 65 yards on Sunday. I mean, he's not doing anything. If you win the MVP two years in a row, you can do your ayahuasca all day long and yeah. tell the world about it. Yeah. But I just, I feel like, the, but that, my question for you, though, is how big of a, uh, crisis is maybe too strong of a word, but how big of a branding issue is it for the NFL if and when they have to move beyond these stalwarts? Or is it just great theater to, to just watch them erode? Well, they're, they're certainly riding the Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers train as long as they can, and the whole sort of media complex around it is riding. The, we're talking about it right now, Oh, I right? mean, for sure. So, like, that's what we led with Coach Mordenweg yesterday, too. I mean, that's what everybody's talking about. It doesn't. I mean, we would be talking about those guys if they were killing it, and we'd yeah. be talking about it if they weren't. That's just kind of how it goes. And, and that star power is, I mean, if you think of it from a business perspective, like those two assets have been driving the business model for many years, and, you know, as a leader in a business, you're kind of like, Okay, and that's a, that's a well-known fact in business, or not fact, but a well-known effect in businesses as they, the best time to innovate and to change your value proposition and business model is when things are good. Sure. Right? And what happens is very few companies have the leadership and capacity to do that. They sort of ride whatever wave they're on as long as they can until it's not working anymore, and then they're under threat and the resources are a little tighter and they're scared, and that's a harder time to innovate. Yeah, it might force some some change, but like as, at the business level, the, the best time to innovate is is when things are good. So, you know, I know that's something that Belichick got criticized for over the years, yep. is like cutting people before they kind of reach their peak, before they sign that really big contract. That's, right. that's a ruthless business strategy. And say what you want about the Patriot, they didn't look good the other night, totally. right? And they got their own problems, but. But there, there's an example of like a coach that's not afraid to change it up, even when things are working okay and still could get better. Um, and we see that on some levels, like teams are willing to sort of cut their losses and play for a higher draft pick. But, but you're right, there is this tendency to sort of hang on to what's working because it's worked in the past, right? It goes back to those biases and decision making we started with the segment on. It's like we're, we're we we don't think long term, we think short term, and we get too myop- myopic about it. I find it so interesting that none of the other pro sports follow the model of the NBA because the NBA, they are so good at identifying that, that hanging on to the older guys but also flushing them when they can and boom, a new group. And they're so good at hyping their young guys. And uh, I don't know, I mean... It, my biggest criticism of the NFL, which you and I both agree is is among the most fantastic business machines that's ever been created is that they only present the low-hanging fruit to the the public, and the low-hanging fruit is the veteran, stalwart, long-term quarterbacks. That's mm-hmm. what the, that's what everybody can understand easily. 
So you wonder what happens when this when this gets shifted. I mean, I think the NFL has been so crazy over the top as an offensive league for the last 10 years, the pendulum always swings, right? Sure. Now everybody in the league decided we're going to draft nothing but incredibly fast guys on defense that can tackle in the open field, and we're seeing the, the other side of the coin. We're seeing way lower scoring. I just think the NFL is going to have to, if this trend remains, they're going to have to be able to tell the story a little bit more broadly. They're going to have to tell the story of the safeties and the outside linebackers and the defensive tackles as well. That's a much harder story to tell. It, it can be told. We've seen isolated pockets of that. Yep. Reggie White, Michael Strahan, sure. these sort of defensive stalwarts that kind of become their own celebrity personalities that you build storytelling around. But it's it's a harder lift for marketing departments essentially sure. to build these characters out. Ultimately, it might serve the NFL better. Um, it could be a more sustainable model. The the the, ter- the Tom Brady's and Aaron Rodgers of the world don't come around so often. That's right. So I do think your premise is potentially correct in that. Yeah, these have been two incredibly valuable yeah. marketing assets for the NFL. Yet they are unicorns yeah. in a way, and building your business model around unicorns is not sustainable. Well, I think that that's the last point I'll make is I think that. One of the reasons why they gravitate towards the quarterbacks is is it's the person with the ball in their hands the most. It's the most impactful yeah. position in pro sports. It's the easiest for people to watch. I also think that there's a much higher percentage of quarterbacks that have quote unquote palatable stories for the general middle America. Sure. Uh, and I also think they can protect the quarterbacks through the rules. You never know when you build up a big defensive tackle and then he just gets rolled up on in the pile and blows his knee and it's over, right? Yeah. So it's it's a lot uh, more of a finite shelf life. And then I also think, for better or worse, I, I think this is worse. I think that there's a less ability to homogenize the guys that play because if you play defense in the NFL, you have you're a little crazy. You're probably a little bit different mentally than you know Drew Brees and his all American dad life over here, you know, or Tom Brady and on the cover of GQ magazine or whatever. That's a lot different than DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner is a very, very uh, aggressive, violent person sure. who's also, though, the captain of the Indianapolis Colts and one of the best players in the league. But most people don't know who that is because the NFL doesn't tell you your story. So you wonder how much of just the background, the personalities, all that. It's just, but this is not, that's not common to the NFL. That's everywhere. That They always want to find the most palatable story to tell the general mm-hmm. public. And those quarterbacks are coached in how to tell that story. That's Maybe right. behind closed doors, they're just as ruthless and, and whatever. But they've been coached on how to produce a media persona at that level that's consistent with what the consumer expects and wants. We want like a steady hand at the that's wheel, right. right? Whereas the defensive players, they're they're sort of incentivized to be that crazy guy. And, um, you know, I could imagine a world where if they were given the same sort of uh, coaching assets on media interaction, they, they could probably present in a different way. Yeah, it should be, should be interesting to follow the way this all uh, evolves, devolves, whatever. Thanks for letting me get it off. This is therapeutic. Good, man. Me. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Justin Angle, Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. We do this uh, a couple times a month. I hear on Nuanas now. You are listening to ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Give me more defensive tackles. I know that's not surprising to you. Also, I know you think I'm crazy. Letting the machines rule the world is not the answer, I promise. Just because it's easier doesn't mean it's better, especially when it comes to math, machines, and all that in sports. Get rid of your analytics. Feel the game. I don't know. Get off my lawn. 
What's going on the rest of the week? Do on us now. ESPN Radio. See you right after this. Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M Store in Missoula has been your Grizz gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. ESPN Radio. Man, the math worked. <laughs> I wasn't sure we were going to be able to fit all that in, but we did. Just about a minute left. But thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks for being with us here on Nuanas Now. If you missed anything in today's show, fun show, we went all the way through all the high school football, basketball, excuse me, high school football, soccer, and cross-country results. Sorry, I was uh, doing some research for a project, and I was just watching a little video on basketball. By the way, Hoop starts tonight. Lady Grizz and Men Grizz have their maroon silver scrimmages tonight at Dahlberg Arena. Crazy, that snuck up on you, didn't it? Uh, we heard from Joey Michelotti, the senior quarterback for the Helena Capital Bruins. Jarrett Wilson, the senior quarterback for the Polson High School Pirates. We also had our Treasure State Stars for the week. We also heard from Justin Angle, a business angle, the overlay between business and sports. All of it on the Nuanas Now podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Presented by the M Store and the MSU Bookstore. Tomorrow, uh, some usual subjects. Sam Herter will get it kicked off. We'll talk about the showdown Saturday that was this last week. We'll also hear from Mike Anderson, Grizz Hockey. Marcus Wildell, our Grizz Star of the Week. And the return of Alex Eshelman from SWX Montana Television. We'll see you at 4 p.m. tomorrow. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. I am here with Catherine DeLands of the Advocates if you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, the advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury accidents, things like that? Uh, it's all we practice. Uh, you're not going to get an attorney who's practicing family law or in court defending criminal cases. All we do is personal injury. We're a multi-state firm, but I'm right here in M- Missoula. So we have the backing of a large firm uh, with just years of expertise there, too. Free consultations. You can find out more by calling 406-640-4444 or by visiting online 24-7 montanaadvocates.com.